The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, hello, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at City Rev, and glad that you're joining with us this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, pray that you had a, a great time with family, time to carve out and practice gratitude, giving thanks to God for all that he's done in our lives. And, and even in a season as crazy as the one we've been in, there is so much to be grateful for, so much to give God glory and thanks for. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. If you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app on your phone or tablet, Isaiah 52 is we're going to spend some time today. And uh, while you're getting your attention over there, uh, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer and uh, prepare our hearts to receive from God's word. So would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that we get to enter into a time of Bible study this Thanksgiving weekend, recognizing that you are king, that you are Lord. And Father, I pray for those who maybe Thanksgiving for them wasn't what they expected. Maybe it was a really hard series of days and the family time or whatever time they had felt lonely or felt felt difficult and felt like labor and was uh, honestly a burden to their soul. Lord, would you, would you just meet them where they are right now? Lord, would this time in your word be life-giving to our souls? And Father, I pray for those who are right now hearing or watching that are curious that maybe have questions and have come to explore what it is that you might have to say to their lives, Lord, would you meet them where they are and show them, show them how good you are, show them your faithfulness. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, on January 24th, 1848, James Wilson Marshall was working. Uh, He was working to build a water-powered sawmill near what is now modern-day Sacramento, California. And while he was there working on just a regular typical day for him, he noticed something on the American River where he was working. He saw these gold flakes, these small gold flakes there in the river down in the water. And it immediately caught his attention. He went to look at it. And later, this is how Mr. Marshall characterized his discovery. He said, it made my heart thump because he knew immediately it was gold. And on that discovery at that time, so you have some perspective, California was a U.S. territory with only 1,000 non-natives in population. Not very many Americans living in that area. And as soon as Marshall told his boss, John Sutter, the person he worked for, about his discovery, Sutter and Marshall conspired together to try and keep it a secret. But eventually word got out and people started finding out that there was gold there at the base of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And eventually months go by and San Francisco, uh, which is not all that far away from that particular region in terms of context and the expanse of the American continent, the men of San Francisco start fleeing that city and flooding to this area. And so all of a sudden, there's this movement out west of people going to discover and try and find all this gold. But on the east coast, across the American continent, nobody knows anything. In fact, it's months before rumors start happening 
People start hearing rumblings of discoveries of gold, but it's honestly, it's mostly considered rumor, hogwash, like this is no way, it's a myth. But then in August of 1848, seven months after the initial discovery of gold, the first major East Coast newspaper, the New York Herald, published an article revealing the news that gold had been discovered in California. And what ensued over the coming months was this massive gold fever, where that town, that area, uh, that territory of California that only had about 1,000 non-natives in less than two years went from 1,000 to over 100,000. Gold fever swept the nation. It changed the entire trajectory of the American continent as westward expansion just boomed at a rate they never thought would even be close to possible. It took over the attention of the nation and transformed society in so many ways. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment and think about how different that news played out in 1848 compared to how that news might have played out in 2020. You see, in 1848, news traveled much slower. It was months before a city, a neighboring city in the same territory, San Francisco, sent individuals into that area. And then it was months beyond that before people on the other side of the country found out and started moving that way. But think about the way that news works. When we hear news, when news is announced or proclaimed, and it's of the significance of something like discovering gold, life-changing amounts of gold, that it changes the trajectory of people's lives. Entire families uprooted themselves and moved to a new place, risked everything for a chance to try and strike gold. And all of this movement, all of this news that took place, it, it makes me think it's, it's very interesting that all throughout human history, there have been these key moments where some news is announced, something is discovered, a, a, a king accomplishes something, a battle is won, and news is proclaimed, and upon the hearing of that news, it changes everything. The world gets turned upside down. And with that framework in mind, it's really interesting that when we come to the Bible, and we look at the Old and New Testaments and the story of the Bible. The primary core message of this ancient collection of documents, the core message is not necessarily about moral philosophy or ethics. The Bible at its core, it's not this advice book that's trying to help you fulfill your dreams or live a, a great life. That's not what the Bible is primarily about. In fact, one of the ways that the Bible talks about itself, its primary message and purpose is that the Bible is an announcement of news. It's this proclamation of something that has happened. In the Old Testament, it's the story proclaiming the coming of this news. And the New Testament, it's the proclamation of this news. Something has taken place that has the trajectory and possibility of transforming your life, transforming nations, and the promise of God is that it one day will. The whole earth will be renewed and restored, and this is at the heart of the message of the Bible. And so I want to take you to a passage in Isaiah 52 that talks about this news, that proclaims this news, and it's the kind of news 
that in an even greater, more radical way, the news of gold being discovered across the nation, it may just have the capacity not just to transform your life, but transform your family, to transform your neighborhood, your workplace. And so look with me, Isaiah chapter 52. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Here's what it says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Okay, what's happening here in this passage? Let me set the context for you. Isaiah is writing several centuries before the time of Jesus. And he's prophesying, he's delivering this message. And early on in the book of Isaiah, he's offering these messages of judgment and hope to the nation of Israel. And he's cautioning them, in particular the people of Judah, cautioning them because of their sin and rejection of God that he's going to bring judgment upon them. And Isaiah speaks of a time when God is going to restore them to himself. Well, later on, as you continue reading through Isaiah, you see this start to become more specific. And Isaiah warns of a time when God is going to send his people into exile. And God's people are going to be removed from their promised land, uprooted from their homes. They're going to go to a new place as captives. And this eventually does take place. The people of God are exiled to Babylon. And Isaiah, in the book, continues to prophesy and tell the people how it is that he's going to restore them and rescue them out of their exile. So he tells them they're going to go into exile for their sin. And then he starts promising a future rescue mission whereby God is going to break through and deliver them from their enemy, deliver them from exile, and return them back to their home. And so Isaiah chapter 52 is towards the end of the book, and the setting of it is Isaiah speaking of a time where they are exiles, and this is the moment when God is enacting his plan to restore them to his health. So when we read in Isaiah 52 verse 7, how beautiful are the feet, of the person who brings good news. The setting that Isaiah is painting is he wants us to envision uh, Jewish watchmen at the gates of the city. Standing by the wall, ancient cities had gates and walls set up around them. He says, envision watchmen who are there at the gates or at the wall of the city and they're scanning the horizon. They're captive right now. They're exiled right now, away from their home. Their home country's in ruins. It's been destroyed, but they're watching. And upon the horizon, they see coming on the mountains a messenger, a herald, who's tasked with the responsibility of delivering and announcing news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, of the one who publishes peace and brings salvation. And the content of this news that this herald is bringing to the watchman is that God reigns. So to the captive people who are in exile, they see this messenger coming who is running and coming down the mountains to tell them that their God reigns, Yahweh, the Lord, he's on the throne. It's good news of shalom, of peace and joy. God is going to rescue and redeem his people. The content of this news is further described in verse 8. In verse 8, the watchman 
who are there on the walls and hear the messenger deliver this news. They celebrate and rejoice and then they do their job in announcing to the rest of the people what this messenger has just proclaimed, that God is king, that he is the one who's bringing peace, that it's a time of joy, the exile is over, we're going home. So it envisions really this celebratory moment. Isaiah is picturing that moment when God's people will hear the good news. Now that word good news there in Hebrew is a very often used word in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. It's a word that describes a royal announcement. It's almost always in the Old Testament linked to an announcement related to a king that a battle has been won or victory has been secured. And here this herald, this messenger is announcing the good news, the royal announcement. God is king. The exile is over. It's great joy and peace for you. Continues, look with me, verse 9. He says, Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah tells the waste places, those areas in Jerusalem that had been ransacked by the Babylonians. Isaiah predicting here that the people of God would one day be exiled, that Jerusalem would be in ruins, and also predicting that one day it'll be restored and repopulated, he's telling those future waste places, rejoice, celebrate. God is doing something new. He's bringing salvation to his people. He's comforted his people. It says God has bared his holy arm. This is the Old Testament way of saying God is flexing on these individuals. He's showing his power. He's rolling up his sleeves and demonstrating his mighty hand that can save his people to the uttermost. That no matter how destitute they were, how lonely they felt, how abandoned they felt, oppressed they felt, God is not powerless to save his people. So he speaks of this day of future joy, of salvation. And did you catch on verse 10? It's not just something that's going to be good news for the people of Judah. It's not just good news for those who will go back to Jerusalem. It says that all the ends of the earth, all nations, all peoples will see and bear witness to the salvation of our God. I love this picture here. You know, here in Isaiah chapter 52, it gives us this royal announcement of good news. This good news that secures victory for God's people. And upon hearing this, this good news in this scenario, the herald comes and proclaims that salvation has come. God has shown up. He's revealed his power. If you hear that news and you're one of those exiles who suffered under captivity and you hear that announcement, that changes everything. I mean, now everything about your life is now different. You live in light of that news that has just been presented to you. All of a sudden, your life turns to, okay, now what's the possibility? If this is what's happened, if God is king and returning to his people, if he's comforted us and redeemed us, then what does that then mean? What are the new possibilities for my life? Everything has changed. Now, if we turn our attention to the New Testament, 
This concept of good news continues. This isn't just an Old Testament idea. The fact that the Bible is this announcement, this royal announcement of news of something that's taken place is not just reserved for the first part of the Bible. Listen to Luke chapter 2. As shepherds right there near the city of Bethlehem under Roman occupation, Rome is the world's superpower at the time, and shepherds are out in their field. They're keeping watch over their flocks, and listen to what takes place. Luke chapter 2. This is a familiar passage to the Christmas story. Here's what it says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel, uh, you might circle that and write messenger there. That's what that word means, an angel or a messenger of the Lord. An angel appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to these shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you What's that word? Say it out loud to your car or your, to your TV or wherever it is you're listening to your laptop. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So follow this. Right there at the very beginning of the Christmas story, Shepherds are out in their field. They're doing their thing. You know, they're doing what shepherds do. It's nighttime. Somebody's keeping watch to make sure nobody comes out. No bandits come out to try and rob them or animals try and prey on the sheep, right? Some maybe are laying their head to rest, but they're watching over their sheep. And all of a sudden, bursting on the scene, an angel, a messenger from God shows up heralding some news. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you Good news, I bring you the gospel that's of great joy, and it's going to be for all people, not just for you shepherds, but for all nations, because born today in the royal city, the city of David, is a new king who is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And this angelic announcement of the good news frames the Christmas story and cues us to this ancient unfolding narrative that God has been revealing throughout history about a God who really reigns as king in the midst of his people. This royal announcement of who's really sovereign and in control and the one to whom all praise and glory belongs. And so if you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 52, really, uh, you probably notice Luke chapter 2 echoes many of those things we read a moment ago in Isaiah of good news, of joy, of peace. And if you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 52 and into chapter 53, you read how God is going to bring about his rescue plan. And when you read Isaiah 53, you start to gather that the type of rescue God has in mind that he's predicting through the prophet Isaiah goes beyond mere return from exile. Because when you read in Isaiah 52 towards the end, starting around verse 13, and read through chapter 53, I encourage you to do it, you read about this mysterious figure, someone that's referred to as the servant, how God's going to raise up this person that he calls the servant, and this servant of his is going to go on and accomplish for God's people what they couldn't accomplish. And the way that God is going to bring his salvation is he's going to take his servant this mysterious figure, and this servant is going to be punished for the sins of the people. That upon this servant is going to become, come the chastisement and the mockery 
and the, the judgment that sin deserves, that this servant is going to be punished so that his people could experience peace. He describes his servant who's going to grow up before them, who is going to be despised and rejected. And this is describing the one who would come that Luke chapter 2 points to. It's describing the good news of the coming king, the royal announcement that the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in that manger would grow up and become that suffering servant and would bring about the rescue plan that God had announced long ago, that he himself would be the perfect sacrifice for sins and upon Jesus would be the chastisement that would bring us peace, that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, that Jesus himself would be the substitute who's standing in our place, takes all the wrath that our sin deserves from a holy and righteous God. Jesus absorbs it all and offers us by his grace as a gift, salvation and redemption, forgiveness and love. This is what is the good news that God is announcing that Jesus is king. Isaiah 52 and 53 make this clear that those who trust in this king, those who trust that God is king and believe in his servant, Jesus, get to become participants and heirs in his great kingdom. You see, this uh, royal announcement that Isaiah talks about, it's fascinating. He, he points our attention to an interesting, an interesting place. We kind of glossed over it quickly, but Isaiah uh, he points out in this messenger who's coming on the mountains, he says, you know what? That messenger has some beautiful feet. Now, I, I don't know if this is maybe typical for you. Maybe you're just like a feet person. You're a fan. You, maybe you evaluate feet. Uh, I know that that's a thing. Some people like feet is a big deal. You, maybe you take care of your feet. I know guys who get you know, pedicures and their, their feet matter a lot to them. Maybe feet are a big deal to you. Now, feet are not the primary thing I draw my attention to when I see someone coming down mountains. It's not typically what my mind goes to. But what's he doing here? If you envision what he's describing here, the thing that makes this messenger so beautiful, the beauty of it is the fact that this message is moving towards them. The message is being delivered towards them. He draws our attention to the feet of the messenger because the beauty of the message comes through the movement of the message. Here's what I'm getting at. Now, I want you to write this down. Here's kind of the main idea that I want us to drill down to today is that the good news, the gospel, is only good news if it's shared. The gospel is only good news if it's shared. Let me break that down for you uh, for a moment. Number one, Let's, first of all, just talk about what we mean by news. The gospel is news. Let's start there. Uh, it's news because something has happened. Again, the Bible is not coming at you with advice. The primary message of the Bible is not, hey, here's some moral principles to implement in your life. The Bible has lots of moral principles that you can implement in your life. But at its core, the Bible is a royal and a divine announcement of something that has happened. That God has sent his son into the world in human history 
Notify the news reporters. Let them know something has happened in human history. God has broken through in the person of Jesus. And Jesus, through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection, where he destroyed and defeated death, sin, and the devil, Jesus has done something that changes everything. Something has happened. And the Bible reveals this news. It is news. And it isn't just news. It's good news. It's good news that God has made a way for you. You might be a person who maybe your opinion is that you've done too much wrong. Like you've, you've messed up so bad. You've hit rock bottom. There's no way God could forgive you. You're just too far gone. And what, what the good news of the Bible is that that's impossible. It's impossible for you to be too far away for God to save. His hand is not shortened. His arm is strong. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able and powerful and gracious to redeem anyone who would trust in him. It's good news. God has made a way for you through his son, Jesus, to be reconciled to him, to live forever in the kingdom and reign of God, to have all of your desires, everything you ever want satisfied in him to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus. It's good news, but it isn't just news. It's not just good news. It's also good news that must be shared for it to be good. You see, the gospel is only good news if it's shared. Let me describe to you what I mean. Imagine you're dating a person for some time. If you can envision back to that date, or maybe you're dating someone now, or recently, maybe you want to be dating someone, wherever you're at in the dating spectrum. Imagine you're dating someone for some time, and you're at that point in the relationship where you're like, wow, I think I really like this person. And you've come to the conclusion after all the time you've spent with them and talk with them, like the kinds of things you're thinking and saying is, I really, really, really like this person. And you're basically at the place where you're ready to drop the big L word, the capital L word, the love word. Like I, I love this person. I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, right? That's a big moment. That's a celebratory moment when you come to that place. How amazing. But imagine if you're in that place and that's where you're at. You love this person. You honestly couldn't imagine being with anybody else. But imagine you never share that with the person. Keep it to yourself. You just overwhelmed your diary. I love so-and-so so much. I love them. I love them. I love them. And then you see them and you just, zip. you never share it with them. You never let them know how much you love them. Here's what I would say. It's not good news then. That's a missed opportunity, not good news. And what I'm trying to get at, what this passage is teaching and the rest of the whole story of the Bible evidences is that the gospel, the message at the core of the Bible is news by nature that is intended to be shared and announced and declared. Something has happened Jesus was nailed to a cross. He died on that cross. His life left him. He laid down his life. He was buried in a tomb three days in the grave. And on the third day, he rose up from death. Cue the headlines. Let your people know God has come in the person of Jesus. He's alive and he calls us to trust in him. It's news to be shared and it's good news when it's shared. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, Thanksgiving, really that, that turning point in our attention, 
now that we're in that weekend after Thanksgiving, our attention drawn to this month ahead. It's a season that if we aren't careful, we can miss the opportunity that may be the greatest opportunity in our entire year calendar to announce the good news of Jesus to the people around us. If we aren't careful, we can get swept up in the craziness and the stress and the planning and the gift buying and the vacation booking. All all that we've got to do, we can get swept up in that and miss the incredible opportunity we have as messengers and watchmen. See, good news has been announced to us who follow Jesus. And like these watchmen, we, we've sung and danced and said, yeah, Jesus is my king. I follow him. Yeah, Jesus is amazing. But let us not forget that God then turns to us and say, okay, messenger. Okay, herald, go out and proclaim this news. Announce this news to those who have not yet heard. Announce this good news. Live in light of this good news. And so what I want to charge you to do this Christmas season, I want to give you two things to consider, two items to consider about the opportunity before us this Christmas season. Number one, I want you to consider how can you leverage your weekly routine to share Jesus this Christmas? How can you leverage your weekly routine to share Jesus this Christmas? To be an announcer of that good news, a messenger of that good news. Uh, Notice how I'm asking this. It's not necessarily, hey, how do you need to re-alter your entire schedule and start booking things on your calendar? No. How can, in the flow of your routine, of your life, of where you spend your time and who you spend it with, how within that flow can you leverage it to announce the good news of Jesus this Christmas season? You already see people that on a regular basis that you work with, that your, your, your child is friends with their parents and you know the parents There's already people in your life that you maybe study with for finals as finals are going to be approaching soon, your roommates. Who are the people that in the routine of your everyday life you interact with? And for those of us who are at home and living with family, let's start there. In our family rhythm, how are we going to leverage this season to talk about, to announce the good news of Jesus? That in our homes, the things that we would be celebrating and focusing in on in this season is the good news that Jesus has come, that he's born, that hope is here. How can we start there and then even echoing out into other spheres, into our relationships at work, in the routine of our lives, how can we leverage those relationships to point to Jesus? The Christmas season presents so many unique opportunities we don't have the rest of the year. While you're at home and in your neighborhood, what are the opportunities you have as you see your neighbors to have things prepared, to be able to give them a gift or in some ways engage with them, let them know, hey, I'm grateful for you. How can I be praying for you this Christmas season? Seeing how even just asking someone, how can I pray you in a, in a crazy year that we've been in, you'll be surprised at how someone might take, that, take your word for that. And that'll open the door for a conversation where you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the messenger of the good news to them. How can you leverage that routine to point them? There are gonna be opportunities for you to invite people to church. Uh, Hopefully it's in your rhythm to experience church, to be a part of a local church. 
If you're a part of the City Rev family, how are you going to leverage your routine? If you watch online on a weekly basis or if you come in person on a weekly basis and you're just watching because it's Thanksgiving weekend or you're traveling, how are you going to leverage that routine to bring someone along with you, to invite someone in? Here's the second question I want you to consider. The second question I want you to consider is how can you leverage your digital influence to share Jesus this Christmas? How can you leverage your digital influence to share Jesus this Christmas? You say, Justin, digital influence. What are you talking about here? I'm not some influencer. You know, I'm not some famous person with millions of people following me. What do you mean digital influence? Here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, if you are on any social media platform or if you regularly email back and forth with family, friends, there are people in your life that you connect with digitally. Then you have some measure of influence. You have some. There are people who read what you say, who would be open to what you invite them to. So how can you leverage that influence to share Jesus this Christmas season? And can I just expand your thinking for a moment? I think if there's one thing, this innovative thing, a good thing that we've learned through this year, through 2020, is that we have more opportunities to share Jesus than we even could imagine. That maybe in 2019, this wouldn't have even been on our radar, but now that we've walked through this year where we've been so reliant and having to innovate using digital resources, let me just expand your thinking. Maybe there's family that you have that lives in another state. Maybe a cousin you haven't talked to in a while, in, in years. Maybe a family that lives in another country. But the beautiful thing about having digital resources, and as a church, we're going to make a bunch of those available to you this Christmas season so that it can be as simple as possible for you to be on mission announcing the good news of Jesus. But how can you leverage those? Hey, invite them to watch an online service with you. Start your own chat with that family member who lives in New Jersey or North Carolina, wherever they're at in the country. We have people every week who tune in, not just from South Florida, but all over the world. How can you leverage your digital influence to share the message of Jesus this Christmas season. There's gonna be opportunities for you to share content that we post. Anytime you do that, to share something, ask them, hey, were you able to watch what I share with you? Ask them what their experience was like, what they learned, what questions they have. Maybe some of you can host one of our Christmas services on Facebook Live, invite your friends to it, but just leveraging those resources to get the good news of Jesus out. You know, the United States was really shaken up in the mid-1800s with gold fever. It changed so many things about American society. It really didn't just transform the California territory. It really placed a new emphasis for the entire nation. Everything changed. And that news that spread, that set that gold fever off, that news that spread, think about it. I want you, if you're a follower of Jesus, think about that. We have better news. We have far better news. And we have a greater treasure. And if something like that can shake up a nation, and we have to offer something that is far greater, that's something that will matter billions of years from now, that we have this news and we have greater access to communicate this news than they did. 
in a time and era in the 1800s where it took months for the word to get out just across the nation when right now in milliseconds you can speak to somebody on the other side of the world with greater access and greater news. The opportunity is before us this Christmas season to in the midst of a year full of despair and anger and hopelessness and polarization and hatred and depression in an, in an age where we're worried and wondering about our physical health, our mental health, our national health. In an age like this, we get to be messengers of good news. We get to announce to the people around us that God has broken through, that God has come, that he reigns, that he's sovereign, and that by turning to him, they can be saved. See, we have a better story with better access. How beautiful upon the streets of South Florida are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful in the workplaces across our city are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful in the classrooms, both virtual and physical, across our community are those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of parents who walk into their homes announcing the good news to their children. How beautiful are the feet of grandparents and uncles and aunts who come to Christmas gatherings with the heart and intention to bring the good news of Jesus to their families. How beautiful are the feet of those who on digital airwaves, whatever opportunities we have at hand on social media platforms and emails and whatever opportunity we have, how beautiful are those who announce the good news. Church, this is the opportunity that's before us. The good news is that Jesus is king. He's come to redeem. It's good news of great joy for all people. The challenge for us is what are we gonna do about it? We have the news. It's good news when it's shared. May this Christmas season, as we enter in, may we be about being royal ambassadors and messengers, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Our world needs it. It's thirsty for it. Let's announce it. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to rescue and redeem us. Thank you that you call us out and you trust us with this incredible mission to be your messengers, to proclaim to the world around us the good news of what Jesus has done. Now I pray, Lord, for anyone here who's listening, who does not have a relationship with you, who's never themselves received this good news. Lord, I pray that right now you'd open their hearts to believe. In fact, if that's you, if you would say, that's me, I'm the one who needs to receive this good news then right there where you are, would you just, in a moment of honest prayer before God, would you just call out to God from your heart and just say something like this, say, God, today I, I believe, I receive this good news that you are king, that Jesus is king, that he loves me, that he died for me, and that he rose up from death for me. And I want to follow Jesus with my life. Father, we love you. Make us your servants. Make us your messengers. Equip us with your spirit for this great work. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you made that decision today to put your trust in Jesus as your savior and you receive that good news, 
I want to go invite you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. Uh, we'll put the link in the chat so that you can click that there for ease. Cityrev.org slash faith. We'd love to send you a Bible. It's a quick form you could fill out. We'll put a Bible in the mail. Send it your way so that you can begin growing in your love for Jesus, growing in your knowledge of what he's done for you and what he's all about and his purpose for your life. And so we'd love to put that in your hands. So go to cityrev.org slash faith, fill that out, and we'll be in touch with you in that way. Well, hey, we're gonna continue our time uh, together today with a time of worship. So let's sing. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.